If you've been around uh, for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that God has really been speaking to us around this whole area of holiness um, and obedience. For some reason, I prefer this over here. I don't know why. I'm going to move it. And we really feel like God arrested us and said, we need to camp here for a little while um, just to really um, wrestle through what does it mean to be a people that are holy and obedient and are set apart for him and are consecrated unto him. And we've been hearing about this over the last couple of weeks, but really the, the word is God wants to take us deeper so that we can go wider. He wants to take us deeper into him so that we'll go wider in, in terms of kingdom advancement across this town. And really what I wanted to see this morning is just bring some further shape to that. I think God's putting these together like a jigsaw. He's speaking to us from different people. So Nick, on the first week, brought a word from from Judges about Gideon. And then last week, we had numbers of people, Rob and Carla and Sharon and Catherine, came and brought different words that I felt God was speaking to them about, which really added a a, a greater flavor, if you like, in terms of the jigsaw that God is doing. I I just want to read Catherine's word again about being pot bound. For those of you who weren't here, I just really feel like we need to read it again. I also felt like last week, you maybe didn't get enough time to respond to it. And we felt like when we were praying together as a, as a, as a site team earlier in the week, uh, on Thursday, we really felt like there was a bit more about this word to, to press into. So I just want to read a little bit. So this is a word from Catherine, who's based over in our West site. She said, during a period in our marriage and church life, we felt stuck. We started calling on God and praying for life in all the fullness that Christ offered. During this time, we, as Catherine, visited her brother-in-law, who's a keen gardener, and he offered her husband a tree from his garden, which he said had never grown or flourished. When he dug it out to pass it on to us, he realized he had planted it in the pot, and it had become seriously pot-bound. Following the visit and these pictures, they were at another church who had a a prophetic ministry team visiting. At the end of the service, a member of the team spoke to them, And they came up to pray, and they offered to pray for a couple who were stuck, and this was them. The leader prayed for them and said, did they used to have dreams and visions, but not any longer? And he said, prior to the service, they had been praying, had been given a clear picture of a tree stuck in a pot, so pot-bound it couldn't go anywhere. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, over in the West, Mark Thornett brought a prophetic word. He he visited one Sunday, and he said this. God had given him a picture during the service of a pot-bound tree, but he didn't know what it meant. I, this is Catherine, asked God what this meant for the church, and he showed me how pot-bound roots needed to be gently teased apart so the soil can loosen, take in water, and breathe. This enables the roots to come free and spread downwards and outwards to enable the plant to grow and spread and flourish abundantly with fragrance, glorious blooms, and great fruit. And I just think this word, it's like, and the question that Catherine was posing is, are you pot-bound? You're in Christ, you're in the soil of him, but are you stuck in a pot that's actually limiting fruitfulness? Actually, God says, I want to tease you out of that pot, and I want to place you in soil so that your roots will go deeper and deeper in me, so that you'll grow higher and wider and be much more fruit-bearing. And we're going to pray again into that a bit later. I really just want to bring some more shape to that this morning. So we're going to spend the next two weeks this week and, uh, and next week based in John 15, which came up a couple of times uh, last week. And today I just want to look at this whole area of pruning. When, when, when John writes, or when Jesus is speaking, he says, I'm going to prune you. What does he mean by that? And then next week I want to look at what the whole purpose of this is for. It's for fruit bearing. I.e. holiness isn't about a suddenly an inward focused position where we camp down, we go, oh, are we holy enough? We're, we're looking into ourselves. Actually, holiness, pruning, is actually for fruit bearing. It's actually for kingdom advancement. 
And the purpose that God takes us deeper is in order that we go wider. And so next week we're going to look a bit more at what it means to be a fruit-bearing people, going wide into the kingdom, uh, into the world around we live in, and actually bearing much fruit for his kingdom um, from a place of being pruned and set apart and holy. So let me just read John 15, chapter 1 to 11, but I'm going to focus exclusively really on verses 2 and 3. It says, I am the true vine, I'm reading from the NIV, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Please love these words of Jesus. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let me just pray a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words of Scripture which have been preserved and kept, Lord, for us today. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to fruit-bearing. We are fruit-bearing disciples of Jesus. I want to pray you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us in these days, that we wouldn't gloss over I pray for hearts that are soft and moldable, that, like Carla said last week, that we'd be like the clay in the potter's hands, allowing ourselves to be shaped and molded by you. Lord, tease out any areas of our hearts that are hard, or where we've closed them off to you, or where we've said, no, don't, you can't go there, God. That's too precious for me. Lord, I pray would you tease them out, and would you bring life into those, such that we might bear more fruit. Amen. So really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick unapologetically in verses 3 and the second half of verse 2. The book of John is like an onion. It's very multi-layered. There are so many facets and layers to the book of John, and that you could spend weeks just unpacking loads of this onion. I just want to go through really one layer, if you like, and there's actually way more depth to John than meets the eye when you first look at it, but I recognize that. So we're just going to pick up bits of it today. So we're going to start off by looking at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Carla picked this up last week at the end, and then Rob also picked it up when he talked about the fact our identity is in Jesus Christ. And this is absolutely foundational before we go anywhere and before we move on. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That that, that, that word there, where it says you're already clean because of the word, that Greek word that's being used there, logos, means the message of Jesus, if you like. His eternal sonship, his coming to earth, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, i.e., 
already you are clean because of the message of Jesus that has come to you. Okay? So it's not just literal words. It is the message of Jesus Christ when he came down, proclaiming the kingdom, offering a, a new way of being redeemed and added into his kingdom through him. And what it means is this. When you put your faith and you trust in Jesus, you are clean, innocent, declared righteous before a holy father. That is the foundational truth from which we go on, that actually when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe the word, when we believe the message of Jesus, he says, I've declared you righteous. All your sin, all your rebellion, all your wrongdoing, forgiven at the cross. That has to be a foundational stake in the ground from which we go from. That we are a forgiven people. Do you see the wording here? Already, past tense, you are, that's your position. Already you are clean. Already you are innocent. Already you are righteous. Already you are declared not guilty. So for those of you who are here this morning, and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, the message that God declares over you is you are innocent. You are clean because of the message of Jesus when you put your faith and your trust in him. Ephesians 2.8 puts it like this. You are saved by grace through faith, not because of your works, so that no one may boast. When you understand this foundational truth and let it sink into our hearts, i.e., when you believe the word of Jesus, when you believe the message of Jesus, there's a connection between the branch and the vine, between you and Jesus. That his life pours into you, that his forgiveness is in, into you and on you. We need to understand that we are justified, we are made right by believing the message of Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you say, you know, I've never put my faith in my trust or my trust in Jesus Christ. Today is a day that you can run into the loving embrace of him who died for you, who rose again for you, so that he might redeem you, offer you life and all its fullness, offer you eternal life in his kingdom. It's on offer today. This opportunity to be brought and grafted into the branch that's Jesus Christ is available to you today. How? By believing the word. By saying, Jesus, I believe you are who the Bible says you are. I believe you died and you rose again. I want to put my trust and my faith in you. And the reason why it's so key is because we need to understand that we respond to Jesus not to try and somehow make him more pleased with us or to somehow earn his favor, but we respond to him as an overflow of his grace. As an overflow of his grace. Isaiah 1, 18 says this, Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord, that your sins are like scarlet, I will wash them as white as snow. Look, come now, let's settle this. It is settled if you have put your faith in Jesus. You are forgiven and you are righteous. But that isn't the complete picture, if you like. You see, the second half of verse 2, from which verse 3 so seamlessly flows from, is this. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And Jesus is making quite a clever play on words here. You see, the verse 3 where it says you are clean is exactly the same Greek word as he prunes. I.e., you are clean, now I'm going to clean you up. You are righteous, you are holy, now I'm going to make you holy. Do you see that? It's, it's a clever play on words that Jesus is making here. John Piper puts it like this very helpfully. The Father 
prunes us to make us more suitable for fruit bearing. That's sanctification, being made holy. But keep in mind that you are already clean. You are justified. You are made right. It's a clever, Jesus is making a really clever play on words here. He's like, you are clean, and I'm going to prune you, and I'm going to clean you up. You're righteous, and I'm going to make you holy. So what does that mean? It means you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now you're to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're a son or a daughter of the living God. Now live as a son or a daughter of the living God. You've received grace, so now live under the grace of Jesus Christ. Or to use, I think, a helpful analogy, I had the privilege yesterday of marrying Ben and Tanya, uh, which was a wonderful privilege. And you see, the, the marriage picture is really helpful here because when, on the day you get married, a union occurs. You are joined as husband and wife, no longer two, but one. But that isn't the fullness of being married. The next day, you have to go and be married and learn what it looks like to give yourself exclusively to the other person, to lay down your life for them, to be faithful to them, to adore them, to love them, to pursue them. You can't just say, oh, I got married. No, it's like you got married and now be married. You, you, the legal declaration has been made. Now you go and learn to be married. You go and learn to be those who God has made you to be. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, has no problem balancing this, this seeming tension of we are to be holy and we're to surrender entirely, but we're also under the grace of God. And if we're, careful, we're not careful, we can get ourselves in a bit of confusion. Well, it's one or the other. It's either we're holy, but we're not under grace, or but actually it's a per, the Apostle Paul makes this perfect balance between God's grace in our lives and our response, which is to be holy and to surrender everything unto him. And see, Paul has no issue with calling people to holiness and total surrender. If you read his letters, you see things like put to death, fight the good fight of faith, press on, strive, etc., etc. It goes on. He says to, be, to train yourself like an athlete, to be like a farmer, as Robert said last week, to, to train yourself, be disciplined like a soldier. Paul uses these analogies to help us realize that actually he has no issue with saying, be holy, people of God, surrender everything before me, lay down it all before me. Paul has no problem saying that, but he knows it's from a foundation of grace. He knows it's from a foundation of a secure identity and a security of our salvation. You see, saving faith and growing in holiness go hand in hand perfectly for Paul. Let me just read um, from Philippians 3, verse 12, which I just think is a wonderful example of this two-way dynamic. Paul writes this in Philippians 3, 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus hath made me his own. I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made him has made me his own. Do you see this wonderful dynamic, this wonderful two-way dynamic that Paul is unpacking here? I press on to make Jesus my own because he's made me his own. Out of an overflow of him making me his own, I'm going to press on to make him my own. And scripture does show us this beautiful two-way dynamic. of Yes, the Father prunes us, but we respond. We abide. We rest. We say, God, I give you everything 
Actually, the Apostle Paul uses incredibly active language about what it looks like to grow in holiness. It's not some process we sit, up, we sit up back on. Actually, we're involved. We are, we are active in this. I love the, a quote by D.A. Carson that I've read before. It says this, people do not drift towards holiness. And then it goes on to say, I just think that's wonderful. People don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, and obedience to the scripture. We drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We slouch towards prayerlessness and we delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and we convince ourselves that we've been liberated. The Apostle Paul balances these two, this two-way dynamic of we're in Christ, secure and loved, but he's pruning us, but we respond. I press on to make him my own because he has made me his own. And how is God pruning us at the moment? He's pruning us about being a people who are holy, and who are set apart, and who are totally surrendered to him, and who consider the idols of our heart, and we lay them down willingly before him. But what is holiness, though? Because actually, it can be very easy when we think of the word holiness to think of moral purity or morality. Have I got angry this week? No. Okay, therefore, I'm holy. Have I I looked at someone else with lust this week? No. Therefore, I'm holy. But holiness is far more than moral purity. Holiness is an all-encompassing claim on our lives and of our loves where we say to God, you are everything and I give you everything. It's not, it's not a tick list, of, it's not a moral checklist of I've done, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I've done that, therefore am I holy? It's actually the pursuit of holiness is the submission of our love and our lives and our thinking unto him and we say, God, you are Lord and Master over all of it. You see, if we boil down holiness to just moral purity... We never actually go deeper and we say, God, have I really given you everything? Have I really surrendered my will to you? Have I really surrendered my heart to you? Have I really surrendered my ambition or my money? Have I surrendered it all unto you? But holiness is far deeper than that. And it's not about perfection, brothers and sisters. It's about journeying, one that will not stop in this life. Actually, the, the maturity in the Christian faith is that we keep on digging deeper we keep on digging deep and we say, God, would you show me areas of my life that aren't reflecting of you? And would you come and I want to surrender them unto you? That's the call to holiness. It's not merely a call to somehow follow a moral checklist. It's a call to say, I want to lay it all down before you, God. And idols are the things that come in the way. Idols of the heart are things that come and say, hey, these are the ones that try and take the place of God. You see, an idol is not just a moral failure to obey God. It's something that you set your heart or your mind above on that is somehow above God. What's the first commandment? In the Ten Commandments, you should have no other gods but me. An idol isn't just a moral failing. An idol is actually setting your heart or your imagination on something above God. And Tim Keller, in this brilliant book, which you should read if you haven't read it, Counterfeit Gods, he says this about idols. He says it can be family, or children, or your career, or making money, or achievement, or critical acclaim, or saving face, or social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competency, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality, your virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, I'll know I have meaning. Oh, no, I feel significant and secure. 
And the reality with many idols of our hearts is they are good things that become the great thing. So money is a good thing. But when it becomes the great thing, when it becomes more important than God, it becomes an idol. Or approval. It's not wrong to want to be encouraged in life. But if, if actually having approval becomes the most important thing in your life, it becomes more important than God. That's an idol. God says, I want to bring it down. I want to bring it down. I've just asked Sarah just to come and share um, just a bit of a journey that she's been on uh, over the kind of past few months, really around this whole thing of holiness uh, as well. Um, so Sarah, go for it. So um, I just want to tell you a bit of a um, story of something that um, happened to me earlier in the year. So um, it was kind of, it was around January time. Um, I've got two young children, um, but they both started, um, my youngest was um, in preschool. So I'd started, and my eldest is in school, so I'd started to have a bit more time on my hands. Um, So I was kind of feeling a bit restless. I'd been at home with the kids for a long time, um, wanted to start to kind of use my brain a bit more um, and kind of do something, but I was very limited with my time. Jed was only um, kind of gone from the house for a couple of hours. So I was like, what can I do? What can I do? Um, And randomly, I don't really know why, but um, I decided that I was going to start to write some poetry, Um, just little tiny bits of poetry. Um, And I was like, oh, what am I going to do with that? And I was like, oh, I think I'll... I think I'll write some poetry and I'll take some pictures and I'll put it on social media. So I don't know why I decided to do this, but I did. And um, I, so I started an Instagram account. So for those of you who don't know what Instagram is, it's a social media platform. Um, I already had an Instagram account, but this was a completely new one that I started. Um, It was anonymous, so I didn't write my name on it. Um, And it was public, so anybody could see it. Um, and I started posting these um, poems and pictures on there. Um, I also, I didn't tell anyone about it, so I didn't tell Al, I didn't tell any of my friends. Um, I think because I was just, I wanted to see how it would go. I didn't want to be embarrassed that people would think I was writing poetry. I've not really written poetry before, and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do this. So I started doing it, um, and it kind of, I was just doing it each day, and I was popping something on there. Um, some of them were Christian things, some of them weren't, um, and I probably was doing this for about, well, a couple, probably a few weeks, um, and I started to, uh, I don't know, it just, something changed, and I started to think about it all the time. I would wake up in the morning, and I was like, what, what poetry am I going to write? Um, what pictures am I going to post? Um, who's going to like it? Am I going to have more followers? Um, are there going to be more people that are interested in what I'm writing? Um, and it started to take up other bits of my time. So when the kids were home, I was still thinking, oh, I've got to take this picture, or I've got to try and think of this poem to write down. Um, and it, it um, ate away at my time with God, so I stopped reading the Bible, um, I just, I just was thinking about it all the time, and um, it, it feels embarrassing when I look back at it, because I think it was just this little account with just a bit of poetry, and, and I was like, why did it um, become so cons- 
consuming, um, but it did. And um, it, it then started going into, um, I started following other people that were doing similar things. And so um, my attention was kind of drawn to what they were doing. They wouldn't really be people... There's nothing that wrong with them, but there won't be people that I would be aspiring to be like in real life. But I think there was this part of me that was like, well, this isn't real life. This isn't me. And so I started following them. I started to think, oh, maybe I'll do kind of more edgy posts. Maybe I'll post pictures that I wouldn't normally post. Um, and I guess like temptations and things in my heart became revealed as I as I did this, um, and I think because it was anonymous, it was dark, no one knew that I had it, so Al still didn't know, my friends still didn't know, and this was going on for like three months. Um, there was nothing bad on there, you wouldn't look at it and think, oh my goodness, what's this person done? It was just a normal account, it wasn't anything particularly sinful or, um, or bad on there, um, apart from the poetry probably was quite bad, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I... One day, I, I did, I opened my Bible, and I was just reading, and God really convicted me, and, and was just like, what, have you do, what are you doing? Why has this thing taken the place of me? How has it got in the way? Um, it kind of just captivated my attention and taken my eyes off God, um, just completely. I was like this, I was going that way. And to everyone else, I looked fine, so no one noticed. I was expecting people to go, oh, why aren't you spending time in the Bible, or why aren't you doing this? Or, And I was still leading, I was still doing everything normally, and no one said to me, what's going on? Because it was hidden, it was, um, no one could see it, um, and no one knew that it was there. Um, and once I'd... Um, once I'd realized this, once I was sat down praying, I just was praying and repented and um, just had a real great time with God. And then I decided that I was just going to write it down. I, I don't know why. I think I realized that it, I think I scared myself a little bit. I think I was like, I am shocked how quickly my heart can wander um, away from God. So I, I, I wrote it down. I wrote like a kind of journal article thing. Um, this was in sort of March time. Um, and I just, I just left it. I just, I kind of, I went to scripture. I wrote down all the things that I think it had exposed in me. So I think some of the things to do with um, just my identity, I guess, and wanting approval, um, wanting people to notice some of the things I do. When you've been a stay-at-home mum for a long time, you don't get much approval or um, I don't know what the word is, much recognition for what you're doing. Um, and so that was a, a weird world for me. So um, I think. It exposed things like that, it exposed a lot of pride in my heart um, to do with my brains and to do with my intelligence. Um, and it and I wanted to write that down. I didn't want to forget kind of what had happened in that period. Um, but I still didn't tell many people about it. I told Al and I told some close friends so that they knew what had been going on. Um, and there was a kind of real release from it. And from then on, I didn't... Um, I haven't gone back to that Instagram account. I don't do it. it doesn't I look back and I think, why would I have... Why would I have done that? Um, but I think then when we started this series on idols, I was, I was like, oh, I should probably, should probably talk about it. And then I was like, it's a bit embarrassing, really. Um, just makes me look a bit silly. And then I, I just was really thinking about. It. I was just thinking, actually, so many idols that are in our hearts are, um, they're not always the big things. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're big sins, and sometimes they're obvious things like money and things like that, but sometimes they are really hidden, um, and their motivations, um, and their things that are 
not obvious to the people around us, not even obvious to our spouses or to really close friends. And I just felt like God was really saying, actually, um, exposing those, talking about them, um, praying about them, and allowing God's grace to just really flood into your life um, is just a, a way that you can really be pruned and move forward, I guess. I just wanted to read one scripture as well. Um, just as a challenge to everybody. And I think like it's an ongoing thing. So for me, that was one of them, but that doesn't mean that there aren't more. And um, so I think it's like, it's an ongoing thing. I love that thing um, that Mark brought about the pearl. It's like, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? It's not like, I've got the answers at all. Um, So just Psalm 139, uh, verse 23 says, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, I just want to put that out as a challenge to all of us, really. Just um, allow God to search our hearts and be vulnerable with one another um, and just pray and allow God to work. Honestly... Sarah and I haven't talked about this this morning. The verse I woke up this morning was Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I don't think Sarah was out of bed when I left home, so we definitely didn't talk about it. (laughs) Search me, O God, and know my heart. Can I just invite the the band just to come up, and we're going to respond to God this morning. And we're going to respond in two ways. Where do we go from here? The first is this. We, we say to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. And find in me any grievous ways. And then we want to come to him. And we want to lay ourselves down before him. So I just want to encourage you. This is actually an issue of revelation. We actually have to ask God. Sometimes it's not immediately obvious. We have to come to him and say, search me, O God. And the second thing is this. We want to run to Jesus Christ. The way we remove idols is not somehow some sheer willpower. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ. Whatever your heart is this morning, maybe you're not even a Christian yet. God wants to say, run to me this morning. Maybe you're cold-hearted. Maybe you know there are things. Maybe you're saying, I want to be a fruit-bearing. I want to bear greater fruit. I want to encourage you this morning. Behold the beauty of the gospel and run to him. Can I invite us to stand if you, if you want to? You don't have to. You can be before God, however... But I just want to encourage you this morning, in our time we've got left, to do two things. To say to God, would you search me? And would you know my heart? And would you find in me any grievous ways? And then would you run to Jesus to behold the beauty of the gospel this morning? And just as we're doing that, the communion table is available. We're not going to break and have a time of communion. I'd love to just encourage you as part of this to come and to share in the grape juice and the, and the pitta, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Come to the, the communion table. Maybe you want to take it by yourself. Maybe you want to go and find a friend or someone you know and just say, Lord, would you pray for me into this? Or maybe you want to come to the front and just kneel before God. We're a family here. We don't have to be anything formal. These guys are going to serve us and we're going to pray. We're going to respond. But just be before God and say, search me, O God. And behold the beauty of the gospel. At some point, go and grab some communion. Go and pray with someone or be by yourself. But let's do business with the Lord this morning. Search me, O God, and know my ways.
search me, O God, and know my heart. 